Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 1 through 3. 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 1 through 3. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. And we've been looking at the life of David in particular. And specifically, we've been looking at the Ark of the Covenant And really, we're the Ark of the Covenant, which in the Old Testament, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, that represented the presence of God, that wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, that's where the tangible presence of God was. So we've been looking from whenever it was in Obadiah's house to whenever it's brought into Jerusalem. And we talked about a number of different things. I encourage you to go back and listen to any of the previous messages when you get a chance online on YouTube. But it says this. It says, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. This is also known as David's tabernacle, which we're going to get more into that here in a second. Then David said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. And David gathered all Israel. Can somebody say all Israel? together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which, which he had prepared for it. Then I want you to turn with me to Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, another Old Testament scripture, a familiar passage of scripture. And just so you understand the context of what's being said here, this is God speaking to a priest, also known as a prophet too, um, by the name of Zechariah. And they're actually laying down the foundation for the second temple. The first temple, Solomon's temple, has been just decimated and destroyed, and now they're laying down the foundation for it. But people who knew how big Solomon's temple was have seen this foundation laid, and they think that it's small in comparison to how the previous temple was. But then God says this, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. I know for some people that word work is a cuss word, but the Bible says right here, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Do not despise these small beginnings. Today, I want to talk about this right here. Here's the subject entitled the domino effect. I want to talk about the gift of church at home, but I want to talk about the domino effect, how we can see a domino effect take place in our life. Because you do know that God wants to use you and your family and this church to make an impact and make a difference in this world while we are here. Amen. Oh, come on. Who believes that God can work through us and we can see a difference take place in the world around us? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we welcome you into this place. We thank you, Lord, that your word says we're two or more gathered in your name, Lord, that you are right here in the midst of us. So we just thank you, Lord, for the anointing. We thank you, Lord, for just an impartation, Lord God, instruction, God, that, that, that the, the body of Christ would be equipped to do what you've called us to do. We thank you, Jesus. Have your way in Jesus' name. And somebody said, amen, amen, amen. One more time, go ahead and put your hands together for him. Thank you, Lord. And you may be seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing in honor of reading of God's word. By show of hands, how many people in here know how to play dominoes? Anybody know how to play? Some? Okay, a lot of you. I wasn't expecting that. I'll be honest. I do not know how to play dominoes. I've never caught on on, on how to play dominoes. Uh, maybe because, you know, I get distracted easily because whenever I have dominoes in front of me, I've done the same thing since I've been little. But I, I get the dominoes, and you've probably done this before too. And as you get the dominoes, you line them up, 
Come on, maybe you've seen some videos online of just crazy things where they did this before. And after you line them up, I got quite a bit here. I got these from Riverside Youth because they got all the games over there. And then, boom, just knock it over. And, you know, this, as you can probably already assume and guess, this, this has a name to it when that takes place. It's known as the domino effect. Can somebody say the domino effect? And uh, it actually gets down to this idea of, you know, people use that not just when it comes to dominoes like this, but they use it in life. The whole idea is this, that one event can set a chain reaction of many other events to occur after it. That, that a single domino, y'all, has the potential. This one domino has the potential, when used correctly, to, to knock over endless amounts of dominoes and have a chain reaction. And uh, believe it or not, there is actually this physicist, a professor in Canada that took this theory and idea to a whole nother level, and he discovered that a domino could knock over another domino or another thing that is its size and a half larger. So what he did was he took a domino that was five millimeters tall or half a centimeter, um, which would be roughly the size of a tic-tac or one-tenth, get this, imagine, one-tenth the size of this domino right here, and he progressively knocked over that domino to where it knocked over another domino, its size and a half larger, and to where eventually, get this, on this picture, I think we have a picture of it right here, where he put this in action, and he actually has in his hand some tweezers to have that domino the size of a tic-tac. He put it down and get this, by the 13th domino that he has right here in the picture, that 13th domino, he made these to scale with the same material and everything. It was over three feet tall, and it weighed over 100 pounds. And he actually did some calculations, and get this, he, he, he calculated that if he were to continue doing this, that by the, just the 29th domino, that the 29th domino would be as large as the Empire State Building, as large as a skyscraper, just a massive structure. Just think about that. That's why, you know, you may have heard the saying that a domino has the potential to knock over a skyscraper. It's not that it can do it by itself. It's that whenever placed and used correctly and properly, it can make a bigger impact than it could by itself. The whole principle and idea is this, that anything big or of great significance first started off small. It doesn't matter what it is, if it was a nation, if it was an invention, if it was a company, if it was a church, if it was an organization, if it was a movement, if it was a tree, if it was a big old well, an elephant, or guess what? You as a human being, men, mostly everything has to go through a developmental infancy stage before it can reach its fullest potential. Anybody hear me today? Somebody say it starts off small. It stops off small. That just because something is small, get this, doesn't mean that it doesn't have any value. In fact, I'll, I'll, I like to say, like, I would like to think that really it's, it's the, the small beginnings and those humble beginnings that are really more developmental and valuable than any other part in time. Do you know what the problem is with us in human nature? The problem is many times we like to belittle and overlook and undervalue small things that we see in our eyes or something that seems minuscule at times. For example, we like to see the end result, but we dread getting started. 
Come on, somebody. When We like to see the results of, of going to the gym and all that stuff, but then you, it's a hard thing to get started by just that one spoonful of that salad or something, right? Or we like the promise. We don't really like the process, right? But the word of God says it like this. The scripture says that God, get this, God rejoices to see the work begin. It says God rejoices to see the work begin. And could it be, just think about this, that the reason God rejoices when he sees the work begin is because God is the one that sees the end from the beginning. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He sees it. He sees when that first nail goes into that structure. He sees when, when the foundation is being laid. He sees when that first decision is being made. He sees it, and it gets God excited when he sees the work Begin. Let me encourage somebody today. Do not despise, like the word of God says, the days of humble beginnings, because there's no telling what God can do in your life and through your life, even just through our simple obedience. Amen? Amen. Somebody say the domino effect. What does this have to do with the scripture we opened up with when it comes to the life of David and the tabernacle and how it impacted all of Israel? I think that the life of David is a great example of the domino effect, y'all, of how one man and one man's heart can impact a city, a nation, and eventually, ultimately, the entire world. See, we opened up with and we talked about David's tabernacle, and I want to give you just a quick little synopsis of what David's tabernacle was. Maybe you don't know what this is. Maybe you've never heard of it before. Maybe you have. But this was a little description of David's tabernacle and the impact that this place had on the nation of Israel. So get this real quick. We're going to go over this. First of all, as you can see in this picture on the bottom right, David's tabernacle, it, was a diff it had a different layout than Moses' tabernacle. Because if you've been part of Riverside Church, you know we've taught about the, 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 the tabernacle of Moses, even the temple of Solomon, the, the system of worship was, that was there. See, the tabernacle or the temple was, was the place of worship where humanity would connect with divinity, where they would come in and experience the presence of God. But if you do a study, Moses' tabernacle had three compartments, right? Had the outer courts, the holy place, then it had the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And get this, only one time out of the year could the high priest go into the holy place on behalf of the entire nation of Israel. And he had to go through, through these steps of consecration. And if he did anything wrong or he had anything wrong in his heart, the scripture says that the priest would drop dead in the presence of God. They would actually tie a rope to his leg with the bell, and if they didn't hear it ringing or dinging, they knew they would pull him out of there, hopefully to save his life. And who's thankful that we don't drop dead when we feel the presence of God anymore like that? Why? Because God is holy. We are not holy, but thank God for the blood of Jesus that covers us, makes us into a new creation where we can encounter and experience the presence of God. So that was Moses' tabernacle, but David's tabernacle was different. We don't see any dimensions given for David's tabernacle. We just know that it was just ginormous tent where thousands of people would gather and musicians and, and songwriters and priests, and they would worship God, and the Ark of the Covenant was right there in the middle. Secondly, it was orchestrated and funded by King David. He was the one that gathered the people together and said, hey, we're going to worship God. I know in King Saul's day, they didn't really worship God or seek God, but guess what? It's going to be different underneath my reign. We are going to worship God together. Hired full-time priests and musicians, 
They estimate millions, if not potentially billions of dollars went into hiring all these people so they can put God as their sole focus. It was filled with worship and ministers 24-7, 365. You know, many of the songs that we sing today in church were actually inspired by psalms that were written in David's tabernacle. It, it was in place for 33 years. For 33 years, God allowed this to take place. And I believe that prophetically pointed to King Jesus, who would walk the earth for 33 years the way that he did. See, the life of David even, we see a domino effect in the genealogy of David. And I believe because of David's heart to worship God, that's when God says in, in, second, in 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel chapter 7, he said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And out of you, David, I'm going to set a king that, that will come from your bloodline, that will reign forever. And we see generation after generation ultimately leading to Jesus Christ. Who's thankful for that today, that because of King Jesus, he's known as the branch and the root of David. I believe this pointed to Jesus. All the Bible points to Jesus, obviously. Next, it brought revival and restoration to the entire nation. This right here, David's tabernacle, set the tone for revival and restoration. When David had the system of worship going, guess what? They won battle after battle, conquest after conquest. They had victory after victory as they worshiped God and they went out. But then also many times kings after David, they actually went back to, to, to David's tabernacle and the system of worship that was there. And whenever there was a wicked, evil king or people were turned from God, when the righteous one came into power, they referenced back David's tabernacle and they put God back at the center of worship. The next one is, it's this, it's a picture of heaven. The David's tabernacle is a picture of heaven, I believe. In Revelation chapter 4, we see John the Revelator who wrote the book of Revelation. He gets a glimpse of heaven. And when he gets a glimpse of heaven, he sees the throne of God. Because you know God has a throne, right? He has a throne and he's seated on the throne. And the scripture says that there are thousands, that there are many creatures and angels and cherubim. They're surrounding the throne of God, singing praise to God, worshiping God, ministering God, just, just serving uh, unto God the entire time. See, it's almost like David had like a glimpse of behind the curtain of what heaven was like or something and said, I, want to, I don't want to wait till I get to heaven to worship God like that. Let's have heaven here on earth. See, let me tell you, you don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience God and experience heaven, but we are actually called to bring heaven down to earth. Let me tell you, if you don't like serving God here on earth, you may not like serving God in heaven. If you don't like worshiping God here on earth, let me tell you, you may not like heaven. Why wait? Why, why not start right now to serve God and worship God and live for the Lord? Because one day when we get to heaven, we're going to be standing before him, worshiping him. I believe this is also a picture of the church. The book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, the early church, they're having this dispute and argument because there are now Gentiles that are being added to the church, that, that are being brought into the body of Christ, but they didn't want to keep it to, they just wanted to keep it to the Jewish people. And that's whenever James, the brother of Jesus, steps up in Acts 15, and he said this with the prophet Amos wrote. He said that God has rebuilt, and he is rebuilding the tabernacle of David, where guess what? Now God is calling every tribe and nation and tongue and ethnicity and man and woman to surround God and worship him in spirit and in truth. Anybody thankful for that today? 
This is like a picture, y'all, of David's tabernacle as well. What am I trying to say? You know where all this started? David, his heart, this impacted his nation. It impacted his home. It impacted the region. It impacted the city. It impacted the world. It it almost pretty much impacted eternity as we know it because it ultimately led up to Jesus. But guess where it got started at? It started in his heart. David was a man after God's own heart. If we had to put this kind of in a domino effect, because guess what? God wants to use your heart and your life to make a difference, to cause there to be a chain reaction. I would put it like this. You have the next slide of the domino effect. I believe this is what God wants to do here on the earth and through your life as well. First, it starts in the heart. Then it goes to the home. Then in the church, the city, the nation, and the world. In other words, let's work it in reverse, that if we want to see change in the world, we have to see change in a nation. Before we see change in a nation, we have to see change in a city. Before we see change in a city, if we want to make a difference as believers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we got to see change in the church. If we want to see change in a church, we got to see change in our homes. But if you want to see a change in your home, you have to be willing to be changed in your heart. You have to be willing to be changed in your heart. And this is the tough thing for some people because many people, they want to see change, but they don't want to be changed, (laughs) right? They want to see it, but they don't want to be it. But who knows, before you see it, you got to be it. You got to be willing to allow God to change your heart and change your life. And it starts in the heart of somebody, and that can affect the home and, and spread to the church and, and, and affect. It's so on and so forth. See, Jesus did not die for behavior modification and just tradition and religion. He died for heart transformation. It's only God who can truly change the heart. The book of Ezekiel says that he wants to take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. We just need to learn how to surrender our heart before the Lord. David was a man. David was a man after God's own heart. And from the heart of one man, an entire nation turned to God. How much more can God work through you and your family and this church? Come on, somebody. Is it making sense to somebody today? Somebody say it starts in the heart. It starts in the heart. Before David served as the shepherd over the nation of Israel, guess what? He served as a shepherd boy in his home. Before David orchestrated all the musicians and priests and songwriters and all those things and thousands and thousands of people, guess what David did? He was back at home beforehand as a little shepherd boy with his harp writing songs, writing psalms before the Lord. Before revival broke out in the nation, revival broke out in David's heart. I know this is a simple idea and simple concept, but I believe that this is a powerful one if we can just grab a hold of this and walk in it. See, because many people, we hear the word, but we don't apply the word. But the Bible says, don't just be a hearer of it, but be a doer in it. But if you can just take this, you can make a difference in the life of so many people. God wants there to be a domino effect to take place. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 through 7 says it like this, and you must love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. This is what Jesus is repeating 
later on in the Gospels, whenever he asks someone, hey, what's the greatest commandment, right? This is where we get it from. All your soul and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves, what? Wholeheartedly. Whole, you know what God is after and what God desires? God is after our heart. All that God wants is all of us. God is longing for our hearts to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. And then he says this, talk about them when you are what? At home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you are getting up. Somebody say, start to my heart and then to my home. See, this matters to this, you know, this matters. Sometimes people, you know, think, you know, God doesn't really care about, you know, what's happening in my heart or in my life. God just thinks about the big picture. But let me tell you what the big picture is made out of. It is made up of families and hearts and homes that the way and what you do in your house and the way that you live your life, it matters. But many people, you know what many people do? Can you put the domino effects back up there? Many people, they skip over the process and they begin to belittle what God wants to do in their heart and what God wants to do in their home, and they begin to skip over it, and they don't think much of it, and many people, they just want a platform or whatever else like that, when the reality is we can't get it backwards. In other words, don't be the type of person that says, you know what, God is calling me overseas as a missionary if you're not first willing to go down the street and share the gospel. Don't say, God has called me to go over the hills over there if you're not first willing to go down the hall. Don't say that God has called me to something big if you're not willing to do something that seems minuscule and small. Because the Bible says that when we're faithful with the little things, God will bless us with the bigger things. It matters more than you know. How are you leading your family? What? You can make a difference. See, parents, you want to know the greatest contribution that you will make to society, to this world, and I believe even the, the kingdom of God, it will be by the way that you are raising your children right now and the example that you are being as you follow after Christ. You say, follow me as I follow after Christ. You will make more of a difference doing that than anything else because a domino effect can take place as we gather together. You know, Mother Teresa said it like this. Mother Teresa said it like this. She said, if you want to change the world, that's great. Start off by going home and loving your family. I love that. She was a gangster, y'all. You want to make a difference in the world? You want to change the world? Guess what? Start off by going home and loving your family. In other words, don't ever underestimate the power of of one heart and one home. David's heart turned the nation to God. God worked through David, Jesus even. Jesus just had 12 core disciples, but yet God used Jesus. Like Jesus turned the world upside down with his disciples. The early church, you know how the early church gathered and met in the book of Acts? They literally met from home to home and house to house as they went out to city to city, and as they went out, God turned the whole world upside down. It is the domino effect. See, in other words, if, it, if a, one single domino can knock over, well, not single, but if it can cause a chain reaction to knock over a skyscraper, how much more damage can you and I do to the kingdom of darkness by building our family and making disciples and doing what God has called us to do? 
Come on, somebody. I got one point for you today, and it's this. You can write this down. That ministry begins at home. Ministry begins at home. I can't tell you how many times, y'all, somebody's approached me and said, Pastor Caleb, I feel like the Lord is calling me to ministry. Pastor Caleb, I don't know if you see it on me, but I got ministry on me right now. And I almost want to respond back by saying, you're just now finding that out. (laughs) Like, you're just now understanding that because you do realize that everyone has a ministry. Everyone is called to be a minister. The book of Ephesians chapter 4 says it like this, that we as pastors and even as teachers, we are simply called to help equip you, the saints, the body of Christ, the church, to do the work of ministry. You know what people, many people see ministry as? People, many people just see ministry as a microphone and as lights in the stage. But let me tell you, you don't want this right here. Some people think, oh, just, I, you know, that, that's how I'm doing ministry right there. That, I, I got to do ministry. That, that's, that's what ministry is. But let me tell you, ministry is more than a microphone. Ministry is what happens in your home and how you serve your family. In fact, you want to know what the, what, the, where the word, what the word ministry means and where it comes from? The word ministry actually comes from this Greek word called diakonia. Diakonia, and it literally means this. You ready? To serve and to be in service. It means to serve and to be in service. In fact, you know what the Greeks use this word for? The Greeks use this word to describe someone and label someone that was serving tables at a restaurant or in the home as a waiter or waitress. Diakonia. See, ministry... Ministry is not an extravagant word. You know, it's an actually like a humbling word. Question, what's the first four letters of the word ministry? M-I, come on guys, help me out today. M-I-N, many, ministry, because it starts off small. It's about doing the things that God has called us to do, and it's about being humble and meek of heart and serving God and saying, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me say? Where would you have me go? Lord, I am your servant. I am your minister. I am here to serve you. God, what would you, and guess what? As you serve other people, as you serve the, what you do to the least of these, right? You have done it as unto me. See, as we serve God, other people, and we serve in church, and we serve our family. Guess what we're doing? We're doing it ultimately as service unto God. Ministry begins in the home. Can somebody say ministry begins in the home? First Timothy chapter 3 verse 4 through 5 says it like this. This is the apostle Paul writing to a young minister by the name of Timothy, and look what he says right here. He's talking about the qualifications and the expectations of a pastor or even an overseer of a church. He says he must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? I'm going to say that one more time. If a man cannot take, manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? In other words, if succeeding as a pastor means failing as a husband or as a father, then that means you've already failed as a pastor or an overseer. Why? Because ministry begins 
in the home. See, this is something, this is, I've literally had this statement ingrained inside of me because of what my dad has said and what my dad has shared with us so many different times. He said, ministry begins in the home. So that matters more than what happens on a platform or anything like that. It's about what happens at home and serving your house. See, I'm thankful that I had parents that weren't just great pastors here at church, but they were also great parents at home. They, they taught, they didn't just teach other people in church how to pray and how to serve and how to read God's word and how to follow after Jesus. They took it back home and they took the time to sit with us and taught us how to pray and how to serve God and how to read God's word and what it looks like to follow after Jesus. And they corrected us when we needed correcting and we needed a lot of correcting, especially my sisters, Haley and Allison. Just kidding. Not really, but let me tell you something too, but I'm thankful for this from my family. One thing I've seen in my family's household, there's no perfect family, by the way. I hate when pastors say that. It's like, oh, we're not perfect. It's like, of course, obviously you are, you know. But one thing I've seen too is also the gifts of the spirit and the move of God take place in our home as well. I've seen it firsthand in our home, y'all, because you do know that the Holy Spirit isn't just for here when you're here at church, but you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that you have the Spirit of Christ, Spirit of Christ on the inside of you. And, so, and the scripture says that the gifts of the Spirit, first of all, let me tell you today, the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation today. The gifts of the Spirit have not ceased. They weren't just for the early church. They were for the entire body of Christ to edify and equip one another. And God has put gifts on the inside of every one of you, not just for it to be functioning here at church. It says it's for the body of Christ. Guess what? The church, the body of Christ is not just a building. It's a people. Guess what that means? That means that your wife, your family, if they've placed, we are the church that the gifts of the Spirit can operate. I've seen it in my home. I've seen the word of knowledge, the, the gift of prophecy, the interpretation of tongues even, healing, miracles. We've seen this. I've seen this firsthand in my home as well. And I'm thankful that my parents didn't just put God in a box and say, we're just gonna worship and experience God here at church. But guess what? You can encounter and experience God at home and God can anoint you as a parent and as a husband. I can't do it without him. I can't do it without the anointing. I need them, y'all. There were times in my family's home, y'all, where we were going through things, or if I was going through some things the early years of my high school year, but God would wake up my father in the middle of the night and give him a word and give him a dream and say, go pray for Caleb. And my dad would come to me and he would speak and read my mail exactly what I was going through. And the spirit of God would come and I would feel deliverance and freedom in that moment. Who believes that the spirit of God is still moving today? He said that his spirit has been poured out on all flesh, that this is not only for you, but for those far off. What is that? That is us as the church. Ministry begins at home. God wants to help you as parents and as a family reach your family. Come on, anybody receive this today? I want you to check out the scripture right here. In Mark chapter 5, verse 15 through 19. Mark chapter 5, verse 15 through 19. This is Jesus right after he has delivered the demon-possessed man from thousands of evil spirits. So he said, we are legion. 
He's delivered him. He set him free. And the Gadarenes, and I want you to see what he tells them. It says, a crowd soon appeared around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said this, no. Oh, you know that God tells us no sometimes, y'all. Some people think that all that God says is yes. Sometimes he says no. He said no. Go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been questioned. Have you, we done this before? Have you done this before? Who believes that eternity is real? Heaven and hell is real. Eternity is too long to be wrong. And sometimes we're afraid or intimidated to share the gospel or to be the light or be the example. Who cares at the end of the day? Life is just a vapor. God wants to use you. You know, God didn't just save you just to save you and for you just to live a comfortable, casual life and not make a difference in the life of other people. When's the last time that you shared the gospel? When's the last time that you were praying for a soul? When's the last time that you were praying for your family? I don't care how far somebody may be for God, from God. The Bible says that it's not God's will for anyone to perish, but that all would come to repentance. The Bible says it's, it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. God wants to use you. He didn't just save you to save you. He saved you to reach your family and reach other people. Why? Because God wants there to be a domino effect. He wants there to be a chain reaction that takes place to see revival, to see restoration, to see deliverance, to see healing. But guess where it has to start? Our heart, our life, individually. Now, some people may not listen some people may have hardened hearts, though I don't understand that. The scripture says that, you know, in the parable of the sower, Jesus said when the word of God, the seed goes, sometimes it falls on heart where there's thorns and thistles representing the pleasures of this world. Other times it falls on a hardened heart where the fowl of the air come in and take it. That's the enemy. Uh, other times it, it, it goes to, in other words, it's all about the condition of heart, but sometimes it falls on good soil. Has anybody ever seen seed fall on good soil before? Come on, we're not called... Sometimes people think I'm called to see the salvation. You weren't called just to see the salvation. You were called to seed the salvation, to sow it. Let God, the apostle Paul said it like this. He said, you know, God used me to plant the seed. Apollos watered it, but it was God that brought forth the increase. It's God that works on the heart. It's someone, they have to be willing to be open to God. We've seen it here at Riverside Church. So that's one thing I'm thankful for is that what we're talking about and teaching on and preaching about right now isn't just a far-fetched idea. We have seen entire families that were caught up in false religion, that were far from God. Through one family member coming to the Lord, we've seen entire families come to God where they've come into this church, they've made a difference and served in this house, and it's affected, and guess what? It's gonna go for generations to come. I believe it. Anybody believe that? Somebody say amen. You believe that for your family. Real quick, hey, worship team, y'all go ahead and join me. Is this helping somebody today? I pray it is. I pray it is, y'all. Man, we love y'all so much. Here's what I want to give y'all. It's this. You ready? I want to give you some homework now. 
I want to give you some homework now so that way we all kind of walk away from this. Okay, I got some things because guess what? We all have some things that we can work on. But I want to talk about this. I want to talk about real quick. I'm going to go through these briefly. I want to talk about habits of a healthy home. And this is stuff that we've seen put into practice in my family, and we've seen this work before as well. Habits of a healthy home. Can somebody say habits of a healthy home? I want to go through these real quick. If we're talking, how can we have church at home? How can we have ministry? How can we do ministry and serve in our home? Here's 10 things real quick. The first one is this. I want to encourage you, host an atmosphere that honors God. Host an atmosphere that honors God. You know what you entertain and what you allow and what you do, even music that you listen to? It can make a difference in how the atmosphere and tone is set. In the book of Deuteronomy, he said, do this when you're at home. And he also said, do it while you're on, your, on the road. In other words, we driving. What are we entertaining? What are we honoring? What are we glorifying? What are we worshiping? You can have an atmosphere a home of peace, a home of love, a home where the Spirit of God is moving, where people walk in and they can feel the difference. Anybody ever felt that when you came to church before? You may have had a chaotic day and a chaotic week, but then you come to this house like, man, everything's going to be good. Man, God, thank you for your presence. Guess what? You can experience that at home as well. You can set the tone at home as well. Serve one another. Serve one another. Jesus lived this out. He said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. I'm not telling you to wash your family's feet. Maybe wash some dishes. I don't know. Put the line. I don't know what it may be, but serve. And as you serve in your house, guess what? That's us following after Christ, after the example that he has set. Next one is this. Pray together and pray privately. Pray together and pray privately. Gather, let me just give some word of advice to the parents too, because I've seen this in my life. When there's a need, because guess what? You as a family, you will have needs at times, right? You know, children will have needs too. They'll go through things too. When you gather the family together and you say, hey, what, does anybody have anything in particular they like to pray for? And they bring that up and you come in agreement, touching that one thing in agreement, and guess what? When you pray together like that and when God does come through and when God does show up, guess who gets the glory for it? God gets the glory for it. And the children see firsthand, man, this is real. God is moving. And, they, and then pray privately. Don't just let that be the only time. Pray privately as well. Next one, worship in church together. Man, this is so awesome. I love it. When we see families, if you come to church with your entire family and you're worshiping, you let me just tell you, you are so blessed. You are so blessed. And if you're here by yourself and you're the only one that comes to church, God is able to bring the whole family to this place. I've seen it before. We've seen it firsthand. Just continue to live by action example. But there's something powerful about coming. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews to not forsake the gathering of the saints. If there's a Bible verse that talks about us, the responsibility we have to show up and come to church, that's one right there. It's important, the gathering together. Who's thankful we have Riverside Youth, Riverside Kids? 
All these different ministries that are here, the specialty, there's so many different avenues and places for the family to come together and worship together. Next one is this, talk about and apply God's word. Don't be surprised today if after today's service, your kids ask you a certain question, because sometimes we got the children's pastors right here and the front pastors, Stephen and Lori, but sometimes you get the, yeah, put your hands together for them, they're awesome. Pray. By the way, just going to, first place in the Christmas parade in Victoria and Edna, praise God, with the flow. But don't y'all sometimes tell the kids, hey, go ask your parents this question. Go ask them this. Let's, let's talk about, see, that's why we have in the semesters, we have these booklets that we put together where it has family devotionals for you to gather around as the family and talk about God's word. The only time they should be hearing God's word shouldn't be in a Sunday school or shouldn't just be here at church, but talk about it at home. Going back to Deuteronomy 6, and as you talk about it, but not only talk about it, apply it. How can we walk this out? There's power in that. Next one. I love this one right here. Sit down, share a meal, and spend time together. Oh, this is, sometimes this is one of the most spiritual things that you can do. You know how many times we find in Scripture Jesus sat down and shared a meal with somebody? You know the early church, it says that they gathered together and they broke bread together. They did life. They talked. They conversated. Sometimes we get so fast-paced. I understand some men, you may work 60, 70, whatever hour weeks. Sometimes not about the quantity as much as it is about the quality. Sitting down, talking, building relationship. Next one, celebrate one another. Sometimes we're just quick to point out all the wrong and all the bad and all the mess-ups and all those different things, but we got to learn how to celebrate and show affirmation. Simply say, I'm so proud of you. I love you. Hey, you're doing a great job. Like Jesus, when he was baptized, the scripture says, the voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Celebrate. The only time we should celebrate somebody should not be at a funeral, at a eulogy. Many times we wait to say things, but don't wait. Celebrate one another. Next one is this, forgive quickly. Man, forgiveness, this is something that seems so small, but it's so important. We got to learn how to forgive because, once again, no perfect family. Offenses will happen. Let me tell you that right now. Offenses will happen, but being offended, right, is a choice. We got to learn how to forgive. In fact, I want you to just, Here's a quote so you can remember. As Christians, we should be hard to offend, but be quick to forgive. Hard to offend, quick to forgive. We got to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Lead by example, forgive. Don't hold bitterness or a grudge so long. Don't go down to sleep in anger. Next one is this, find purpose together. You do know that God has a plan for us. I know Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 says that, you know, he's, it's written to the nation of Israel as they're about to go into Babylonian exile. But I believe that same truth is also applicable to us today, that God does have a plan, that he does have a hope, that he is a future, that he works all things together for good, that there's a race that God has ahead of you. And God wants you to live a purpose-filled life following after him, that God will lead you and direct you, that you can help point out things in your kids that maybe they didn't see by themselves, and you can see them walk it out whatever that may look like. Come on, is anybody ready to have some church at home today? I don't know about y'all. Take a picture of this if you want. Write this down. Can we stand to our feet today? I know today was a simple message, but I believe it's a powerful one. If we can just grab a hold of this, the domino effect of what can take place. Does anybody want to be part of a healthy church?
a strong church. I'm thankful for a healthy church, but guess what a healthy church is comprised of? Healthy families. <laughs> a healthy church is made up and comprised of healthy families. And guess what? A healthy family is made up of healthy individuals and healthy hearts. Can we just surrender our hearts to him right now today? Can we just say, Lord Jesus, God, I give you my heart. God, I just thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. God, forgive us, Lord, for every one of our sins, Lord God. Come on right now, if you've never given your life to the Lord today, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day. Say, Lord, I, I want to go all in for you. The Bible says that when we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Say, Lord, I give my life to you today, Lord. This fresh heart, let there be a domino effect, Lord. Come on, if you have your family around you, why don't you grab your family, grab the hands of your family, and let's just begin to pray together. Lord Jesus, right now, and I thank you, God, that your hand is upon this house, that your hand is upon the families, a part of Riverside Church. I thank you, Lord, that we will have homes that honor you, God, that ministry, that, that we will walk in the ministry that you've called us to walk in, to serve and show love, Lord, to our family, God. God, I thank you, Lord, right now in Jesus' name that you're breaking, Lord, generational things and you're establishing generational blessings, God, over the houses, God, that there will be a, a domino effect. God, use us at home. Use us on the job. Use us wherever we go, God, because you see we do not despise the days of humble beginnings, but God, we rejoice, Lord, because we know, Lord, that when the work begins, you see what's going to take place, God. We worship you today. We honor you today, God. God, we lay down every idol, anything that was robbed you of the worship that you deserve, Lord. God, we set you, God, on the forefront. God, it's all about you. In Jesus' mighty name, as somebody said, amen, amen, amen. Come on, somebody give him some praise in this place. As we get into this next song, can we just worship before we go? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.